Hello and welcome to Report Digest, a podcast by MedTech Insight and MedDevice Tracker that delves into our published reports. My name is Barnaby and this week I'm joined by Phil Greenfield, author of a report titled Prostate Cancer Diagnostics and Minimally Invasive Treatments Market. The markets surrounding prostate cancer diagnosis and treatment are massive. The disease accounts for roughly 7% of all cancer cases. With volume comes money, and in 2020, the combined markets of diagnosis and minimally invasive treatment of prostate cancer summed to $1.4 billion. The MedDevice Tracker report delves into the products, competitors, and technologies involved, whilst providing detailed market projections discussing both drivers and limiters. Phil, why don't you tell us a little more about the types of diagnostics used for prostate cancer? Hi, Barnaby, of course. Uh, There's no single test for prostate cancer, and as a result, diagnosis relies on several different methods. Most prostate cancers are first discovered during screening with a prostate-specific antigen or PSA test, or a digital rectal exam, as well as factoring in age, urinary or sexual problems, family history, and ethnicity. If there is a risk of prostate cancer, an MRI scan of the prostate may be performed. If the scan shows a suspicious area, it can be targeted with a biopsy. The most common method of biopsy undertaken is needle biopsy guided by transrectal ultrasound, often referred to as a truss-guided biopsy. The biopsy is usually taken transrectally, but an alternative to this is transperineal biopsy, which involves the insertion of the needle into the prostate through the skin behind the scrotum and has the advantage of a reduced risk of infection compared with the transrectal biopsy approach. In addition to truss, other imaging approaches may be used to more accurately stage prostate cancer, determine whether the patient has metastatic disease and to assess tumour recurrence. The choice of which imaging approaches are most appropriate varies at an individual patient level, taking into account disease stage, risk group, age and life expectancy, PSA level and the presence of symptoms. A major development in prostate cancer imaging in recent years is multi-parametric MRI guided biopsy. Uh, When used as a triage test before truss biopsy, um, MP MRI has been shown to identify more than a quarter of men who might safely avoid an unnecessary biopsy. And the procedure may increase the detection of clinically significant cancer by almost a fifth. If MP MRI detects a possible cancer, images can be used to guide biopsy. Uh, and the use of MRI images to guide prostate biopsy is accomplished in one of three ways. One of those is direct inbore biopsy within the MRI tube using a specialized manual or, or robotic guidance system for controlling the needle introducer while the patient is in the MRI scanner. Um, cognitive fusion is another option which uses ultrasound guidance uh, to sample suspicious areas found with MRI. Uh, This technique is based solely on the experience of the urologist who superimposes the MRI scans onto the ultrasound images in real time. As the suspected areas detected during the MRI do not appear on the ultrasound images, precise targeting of biopsies is not guaranteed. And finally, MRI ultrasound fusion, which uses stored MRI images with real-time ultrasound using a device made for that purpose. Uh, Software-based fusion consists of digitally superimposing MRI images onto ultrasound images, and then suspected areas detected by MRI are displayed on the ultrasound scanner, allowing the urologist to target the biopsy. This approach has the advantage of using 
the superior imaging of MRI coupled with the easier to use ultrasound guidance and can be performed in the office setting. MRI and CT scans can be used to give a clear picture of whether cancer is spread outside the prostate uh, into the seminal vesicles, uh, lymph nodes or other nearby structures or to distant sites. Uh, MRI and CT is not usually required for newly diagnosed or early stage prostate cancers, but can be helpful in detecting regions of cancer missed in prior biopsies. In addition, novel um, PET or positron emission tomography agents have shown potential in the early diagnosis and staging of prostate cancer, detection of cancer recurrence and monitoring of metastases not previously possible with current imaging technologies. And some agents have recently been approved for this indication. On the molecular diagnostic side, um, there are several tests that can provide improved performance when used in men with elevated PSA. Uh, these include Hologic's Progensa test and MDX Health's Select MDX test. Both are used uh, using urine collected after prostate massage and are not influenced by conditions such as uh, BPH, benign prosthetic hyperplasia, uh, medical procedures or injury. Several other diagnostic technologies are also under development that aim to reduce unnecessary prostate biopsies by confirming the results of an initial PSA test. Furthermore, molecular diagnostics are used to determine the aggressiveness of prostate cancer in men and guide treatment selection. Tumors shed some amount of their fragments into the peritumoral space, and these fragments may be represented by single malignant cells or clusters and various proteins, nucleic acids and small molecules. These cells can be collected in various bodily fluids, such as serum, saliva and urine, and serve as tumour markers. As a result, liquid biopsies have emerged as a promising alternative to tissue biopsies for the detection, prognosis, prediction of response to therapy and post-operative monitoring of prostate cancer. Advances in molecular diagnostic technologies can play a, a major role in determining which patients are at risk of high-grade prostate cancer and therefore defer invasive prostate biopsy and related complications, or even replace the need for tissue biopsy altogether. Finally, cancer is a multifocal and heterogeneous disease, and cancer care is entering the age of precision medicine, which promises improved health by accounting for individual variability in genes, environment and lifestyle. So we've always historically had what was viewed as a strong tool for prostate cancer diagnosis. You've already mentioned it, the PSA test. Um, it has problems, however, such as a really high false positive rate. What benefit is there to preventing false positives? Well, preventing false positives can prevent overtreatment. Uh, PSA is not a unique indicator of prostate cancer. And studies have demonstrated that 23 to 42 percent of men with prostate cancer detected by PSA tests have tumours that do not result in symptoms during their lifetimes. In addition, many men diagnosed with prostate cancer can have a normal PSA test. In general, however, a high, the higher a man's PSA level, the more likely it is that he, he has prostate cancer. And moreover, a continuous rise in a man's PSA level over time may also be a sign of prostate cancer. Now, there are several uh, recent developments in PSA testing that improve specificity. Uh, one of these is uh, Beckman-Coulter's Prostate Health Index, or PHI, uh, an FDA-approved CE-marked blood test that is claimed to be about two and a half times more specific for prostate cancer detection than PSA alone. The test combines three automated blood tests into one index that estimates what an elevated PSA level might mean 
and the probability of finding prostate cancer on biopsy. Another test that combines PSA with other markers is the 4K score test, which combines four tests with clinical information to provide a measure of risk of aggressive metastatic prostate cancer. Uh, use of PSA testing as part of screening, however, remains controversial. For example, the European Society for Medical Oncology treatment guidelines for prostate cancer do not recommend population-based PSA screening uh, as, it, as it promotes overdiagnosis and overtreatment. However, more recently, chief scientific advisors to the European Commission concluded that there was good scientific evidence for the benefit of risk-stratified, organised population-based PSA screening, particularly in combination with additional tests such as MRI scanning as a follow-up test. The use of active surveillance was noted as a helpful strategy for combating overtreatment. Further research and ongoing monitoring are needed to identify the groups that will most benefit from screening particularly the ideal age range, and to ensure that an appropriate balance of benefits and harms is maintained. Fantastic. Going back to liquid biopsy, there are a lot of players in the prostate cancer space. Biotechni, Cellmax Life, MDX Health, MIR Scientific, Proteomedics, and A3 Biomedical are all examples. Are there any major differences to their products and what key milestones are they all racing to? A molecular test for prostate cancer may be performed as liquid biopsies, as you say, before tissue biopsy or as tests to guide clinical decision making after a negative or positive biopsy. Uh, there is a significant need for new tests that can provide improved diagnostic performance versus PSA uh, and, and, as I've said before, reduce the number of unnecessary biopsies. Nevertheless, the adoption of these tests has been slow and the number of, of products limited. However, new liquid biopsy assays are under development for this indication. Uh, the market for, this, for these liquid biopsy tests currently consists primarily of, of two assays, Biotechni's XODX Prostate IntelliScore or EPI test and MDX Health Select MDX test. The newcomers in this space you mentioned earlier include uh, Mir Scientific, Proteomedics and A3P Biomedical. Following a negative prostate biopsy, there may still be a risk of missed or future prostate cancer. And so two tests, um, MDX Health's Confirm MDX and Hologic's Progensa, use either prostate tissue taken during the biopsy or a urine sample to confirm the negative result or identify the risk of future cancer, avoiding a repeat biopsy. In addition, there are several liquid biopsy tests and tissue-based tests for therapy selection. Emerging therapy predicted biomarkers include um, Epic Science's ARV7 for predicting lack of response to specific anti-androgens and tests for BRCA1 and 2 mutations for predicting the benefit from PARP inhibitors. Um, other tests detect circulating tumour DNA such as by a target selector laboratory developed test used to guide and monitor treatment and Chronics Biomedical's uh, CNI monitor laboratory developed test for therapy and relapse monitoring. Fantastic. Um, are there any major driving or limiting factors regarding prostate cancer diagnostics that listeners should be aware of? I know the liquid biopsy sector is a general car crash of lawsuits and allegations of IP theft. Has this rubbed off on the prostate cancer diagnostics market at all? Well, the growing awareness that prostate cancer detection needs to be better tailored to the risk profile of each patient presents many opportunities and challenges. On one hand, this will reduce the number of biopsies performed via improved screening and testing prior to biopsy. But on the other hand, it may increase 
participation among men who have previously been reluctant to seek a diagnosis of their symptoms. A more personalised approach to testing may lead to more effective cancer detection and move towards multimodal imaging workflows that more accurately assess individual disease risk and possibly detect more cancers with a lower error rate. Uh, several new imaging technologies have recently proven their usefulness for prostate cancer detection, particularly two technology areas driving market growth are molecular testing and liquid biopsy, as we've already discussed, and multi-modality image-guided biopsy. The prostate cancer products sector will also continue to witness the rise of consumer awareness and, and choice uh, in the industry as patients realise more than ever the power they have to make informed, educated choices about their healthcare options. Limiters to growth of prostate cancer diagnostics include difficulties concerning reimbursement and cost containment which will have an effect of continued pressure and lowering average sales prices of products and accessories. Growth in the use of molecular diagnostics in liquid biopsy tests is expected over the forecast period, which if, if they're highly successful, could have a marked impact on the use of traditional biopsy tools. But as you say, some areas of liquid biopsy are new uh, and technologies and commercial potential are still unproven and IP positions may be subject to challenges. Fantastic. Moving on to minimally invasive treatment, there are three major methods outlined in the report, surgery, radiotherapy and ablation. Surgery has become increasingly laparoscopic in recent years, thanks in part to the help of robots. What robotics players are involved in the prostate cancer treatment space? Well, robot-assisted laparoscopic prostatectomy, or RALP, um, has become a standard treatment for localised prostate cancer. Although it should be noted that it remains controversial as far as safety and efficacy or superiority over open surgery for prostate cancer. As such, the US FDA has not granted marketing authorization for any robotic assisted surgery devices specifically for the prevention or treatment of cancer, although it has evaluated and cleared devices for RALP. The most widely used RALP system is Da Vinci Surgical System made by Intuitive Surgical. More recently, the company's developed the uh, Da Vinci SP robotic surgery system for urologic procedures. Uh, SP stands for single port as the system designed to operate through the natural orifices of the body. The ability to enter the body via a single small incision helps surgeons perform more complex routine procedures. There's several other robot systems on development or on the market that compete with Da Vinci systems for applications in neurology. What's more, the relevant patents for the first generation of the Da Vinci platform expired in 2019, removing a competitive barrier. But all these devices will need to be compared with Da Vinci in terms of clinical applicability, cost and patient outcomes. A sensor surgical, formerly known as Transenteryx, has developed the Senhan system for general laparoscopic surgical procedures and gynecological surgery, including benign and oncologic procedures. Although Senhance is not specifically promoted for use in RALP, it has been successfully studied in this application. One of the distinctive features of the system is that there is some tactile feedback for the surgeon, which helps avoid damage to adjacent tissues, a feature that could be very helpful in prostate removal. A UK company, CMR Surgical, launched its portable robotic system, Versius, in selected markets outside the US in September 2018. And the company believes the introduction of Versius will allow patients to receive affordable, minimally invasive surgery. 
The system features small flexible robot arms that mimic the human arm and are controlled by a surgeon sitting at a console using two joysticks aided by 3D vision. The versatility of Versius with the ability to add and remove arm carts makes it a more practical portable solution. Although again, the company has not expressed plans to compete directly with Intuitive in Ralph with its Versius system. It claims that because the system mirrors the dexterity and range of movement of the surgeon's own hand and wrist, it's flexible enough to handle a, a vast range of laparoscopic procedures, including prostate. And preclinical studies have included prostatectomy procedures. Another low-cost robotic device is the Hinatori system from Medicaroid, which uh, in Japan, which fits in a standard operating room. It is only available in Japan, but co-developer Sysmex is planning to place systems overseas in 2022. And it's also been used for RALP procedures. And in Korea, the Revo iRobot has shown early success in the treatment of prostate cancer and is claimed to cost as little as half the price of the equivalent Da Vinci system. And finally, MedTech giant Medtronic is expecting to launch its Hugo system in the US in 2022. Uh, which will compete with DaVinci uh, and Medtronic is attempting to capture market share in a number of areas, including neurology. Uh, Hugo's modular design, allowing it to be mobile and transferred between operating rooms may make it easier for hospitals to use it more often, keeping per procedure costs down. Moving on to radiotherapy, are there any new technologies or trends that stand out? There are two main types of radiotherapy for prostate cancer. So there's external beam radiation therapy or EBRT and internal radiation therapy or brachytherapy. One of the more recent developments in EBRT is hypofractionated radiotherapy, uh, where the total dose of radiation is divided into large doses and treatments that are given once a day or less often. This is increasingly being used to treat prostate cancer. Uh, hypofractionated radiotherapy is given over a short period of time, uh, shorter than standard radiation therapy, uh, making it more convenient for the patient as there are fewer appointments to attend. Also, there's less demand on staff and equipment time, making very resource efficient treatment while providing the same outcome for the patient. A new technology called extreme hypofractionated stereotactic body radiotherapy has been shown to offer even shorter treatment intervals with only five treatments needed, resulting in minor side effects, good quality of life, fewer follow up therapies, no absence from family and work, no hospitalization and no rehabilitation after therapy. Brachytherapy is used on its own to treat low-risk prostate cancer or before or after EBRT to improve treatment response for medium-risk to high-risk prostate cancer or with hormonal therapy uh, on its own or hormonal therapy and EBRT. It's also used as a salvage therapy after failed EBRT or primary brachytherapy. It's not used on metastatic disease. The advantage of brachytherapy is it allows a physician to use a higher total dose of radiation to treat a smaller area and in a shorter time than is possible with EBRT. There's two types of um, brachytherapy, low dose rate LDR and high dose rate HDR brachytherapy. In LDR, seeds of radioactive material are stored in titanium cases and then placed into thin needles, which are then inserted into the prostate through the skin between the rectum and scrotum using a template and transrectal ultrasound to guide the needles. As the needles are removed, up to 100 brachytherapy seeds, about the size of a grain of rice, are left in the prostate gland where they remain permanently. They'll stop being effective in weeks or months. These seeds can produce a large amount of radiation in a small area because the radiation only travels a short distance and is therefore less likely to damage the healthy surrounding tissue. 
major challenge with LDR is seed displacement due to needle deflection, which is difficult to control as the needle is inserted manually. To address the problem and automate needle insertion, robotic systems, mathematical models for estimation and prediction, control algorithms and needle insertion guides have been developed. Unlike the permanent technique of LDR, HDR brachytherapy uses high doses of radiation that are left in place for a very short period, typically five to uh, 15 minutes. Although HDR is a much shorter procedure, uh, it requires multiple treatments. In HDR, small catheters are inserted into prostate gland transperineally uh, with the help of ultrasound guidance and a brachytherapy seed is inserted through the catheter. Tracking technology, uh, such as electromagnetic guidance, helps physicians control how far the seed must go and for how long it must remain in the catheter to release the appropriate dose. Newer guidance techniques are under investigation that include stereotactic needle placement under MRI guidance. However, brachy is out of favour among many oncologists, despite the evidence supporting its use for prostate cancer. In Europe, although brachytherapy equipment is the least expensive of radiation therapy methods, reimbursement's poor, contributing to a decline in usage. There's also no official training programme for brachy, and among new generations of oncologists, brachy is seen as a much older, more traditional approach compared with advancements in EBRT. In the US, there has until recently also been a significant financial disincentive to offer brachy due to the fee-for-service payment system, which makes brachy less lucrative. As such, brachy is reimbursed at, at far lower levels, creating a financial incentive for physicians to use more expensive technology. However, the radiation oncology alternate payment model, which came to effect in 2022, mandates that around 30% of radiation oncology clinics adopt a flat fee reimbursement structure. This change may impact EBRT and put brachytherapy in a more even playing field as a prostate cancer treatment. And with many countries looking to contain healthcare costs, particularly after the spike in spending during the COVID pandemic, brachytherapy should continue to be a viable treatment option with favourable outcomes in low to favourable intermediate risk prostate cancer. Fantastic. And finally, you have ablation therapies. The report describes two types that really stand out to me, cryoablation and irreversible electroporation. Both sound fairly experimental. So where are these technologies at right now? During the past two decades, there's been a trend towards earlier diagnosis of prostate cancer. And as a result, men are identified um, with smaller tumours that occupy maybe five to 10% of the prostate volume with a greater likelihood of, of unifocal disease. This has opened the possibility of targeted or focal treatments to ablate tumours selectively while limiting toxicity to surrounding tissues. Several uh, ablation technologies have been developed for primary or salvage, whole prostate and focal treatment. Two of the main types are cryoablation or freezing and high intensity focused ultrasound. And the other one you mentioned, uh, which is more experimental, is, um, is electroporation. Um, cryoablation is a, a minimally invasive treatment that uses freezing needles to destroy uh, the cancerous part of the prostate and avoid um, affecting the healthy tissue. Um, it can preserve normal sexual function better than surgical or radiation treatment, but it can lead to erectile dysfunction. It's been used for whole gland treatment for localised prostate cancer as a primary or salvage treatment. But current guidelines only recommend cryoablation um, as a salvage treatment after radiotherapy for non-mesostatic disease, as there is a lack of prospective comparative data regarding outcomes for 
um, whole gland cryosurgery as a curative treatment option for men with localised disease. In the US, insurers will reimburse whole gland cryoablation of the prostate when performed as an initial treatment or as a salvage treatment of disease that recurs following radiation therapy. Um, the Census for Medicare and Medicaid Services provides coverage for cryoablation of the prostate uh, and private health insurers reimburse the technique in a hospital, outpatient and ambulatory surgical cancer setting. Uh, another technology under investigation, which you mentioned, which is not actually thermal ablation, is irreversible electroporation, where an electric field is applied with sufficient amplitude and duration to cause permanent disruption of cell mem membrane integrity, resulting in cell death. There's one commercial system, which is Angiodynamics NanoKnife, and in 2021, the company received FDA approval for a 100 patient investigational device exemption study at up to 20 US sites called Reserve. Uh, this pivotal study will um, use NanoKnife for the ablation of prostate tissue in an intermediate risk patient population. Fantastic. Thank you for your time today, Phil. This brings us to the end of this issue of Report Digest. To read the report discussed today or any of our other reports which cover topics ranging from drug delivery to fracture fixation, head over to meddevicetracker.com. Any questions regarding the report can be sent to either myself at barnaby.pickering at informer.com or our Ask the Analyst service, which pairs your questions with the experts most equipped to answer them. Thank you very much for listening. Have a great rest of your day. Bye bye.